our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. John Wooden once said, Failure isn't fatal, but failure to change might be. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 978th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it's time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and on our chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what are we talking about today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you manage failure part two? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So failure, as everyone knows, is an unlooked-for and unwelcome commodity in life. It disrupts our plans, impedes our progress, upsets our feelings, and is generally intrusive to our lives. So as a result of failure's glowing resume— We often do whatever we can to avoid it, and when we experience it, we often try to soft-pedal its impact or even hide its presence. All in all, these descriptions of and reactions to failure actually are really quite unfortunate. Failure gets too bad a rap. It's judged too harshly. A few weeks ago, we began a journey toward a better understanding of failure. In that journey, we began to see the place that failure holds in our lives and the value that it can bring to us. So let's get back to it, because success begins when we understand our failures. And Jonathan, it's always our objective with each subject. We choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite, we try and find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. Well, Rick, don't we always, as people, love to hear stories of someone that has failed miserably in life and picked themselves up and and focused and drove themselves to, to make a change to, to make a difference. It's like a success story that you, you just want to read. Right. And the failure is what makes the success. And really, exactly. that, that's what we want to get into uh, today uh, with this particular podcast. Let's get started with a, uh, a piece of a TED Talk given by Evan Hansen. Uh, and this, uh, this was called Life After Failure. So it's kind of an interesting thing here. But let's get a sense of Well, what was his failure? What happened in his life that created an interesting period of failure? Let me tell you a story. 22 years ago, a baby boy named Gabriel was born. And due to an incredibly early birth, 
His precious life was snatched away almost immediately after it was given to him. The next year, the mother was pregnant once again, and because of her first failed pregnancy, the doctors knew that safeguards needed to be put in place. Among these precautions, the doctors had the mother spend 108 days lying in a hospital bed in order for the new baby to be born. Now, in the end, their efforts turned out to be successful, and even though the baby was still born early, he lived. Now, I am telling you this, I'm a baby boy. I should not be standing up here today, but I am because of my parents' determination to raise a child and because of the doctor's abilities to overcome the same medical failures that led to my brother's death. So it's interesting, the failures that led to his brother's death were the impetus to be able to preserve his own life. And so, I mean, his mom was in the hospital for 108 days. Wow, to try, that's something. Yeah, to give him an opportunity to live. So that, what it, a it, sacrifice. It is, it is. And you know, we're going to get back to him a little bit more in terms of what he learned from this and, and the burden that he carried um, having had his brother's failure to live be an impetus for him to be able to move forward. So that's kind of an interesting twist on, on looking at failure. Jonathan, last a few weeks ago, when we, when we started How Do You Manage Failure Part 1, we, there were two types of failure that we discussed, and we just want to touch on these two types of failure very, very quickly. So this is by way of review. The first type of failure was failure to do, due to a lack of knowledge, and that means you simply don't know what you need to succeed. You just don't know. So what was failure's lesson learned from failure due to a lack of knowledge? Well, Rick, a correcting of a lack of knowledge that brings us failure requires humility, it can be remedied through the intervention of those around us who truly care for our highest welfare, as well as through prayer and action on our part. Okay, so when you have a lack of knowledge, failure happens. The, the ability to correct that lack of knowledge is to simply add knowledge. Now, you've got to add the right kind of knowledge. But that's what happens, that's what can be done to fix that type of failure. You've got to build that road through failure with your failure. See, folks, the, the whole point of this is there's, a, there's a, a lesson here that needs to be repeated again and again and again. Failure is good if you choose for it to be. For most of us, it's debilitating, it's humiliating, it's frustrating, it's embarrassing, but I submit to you that through failure, that's how you learn the big things. And so if we can understand that sometimes we fail because we just don't know. We don't know better. And so that's easy. Learn better and so you can do better or be better. Now, one of the things we did last, last time we, we talked about failure, Jonathan, and we're going to continue this time, is we talked about failure in relation to God's plan. Because, you know, and, and we're going to get into this in detail later, so we won't touch, get into detail now, but God has a day of judgment planned, right? Sure he does. In that day of judgment, there's going to be success and failure. Absolutely. So we have to understand, and we can because the scriptures tell us, what kinds of failure God is going to be bearing down on and what kinds of failure he won't be bearing down on. So in terms of failure uh, due to a lack of knowledge, 
What's God's perspective on that? And we can get a sense of that by going to the parable of the sower. And again, this is a review from a, a couple of weeks ago. From Mark chapter 4, verse 15, there were four types of seed that Jesus talked about being sown. And each of these types of seed were going to relate to a different kind of failure. So the first type of seed sown, what happened to it? These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So there's failure due to a lack of knowledge. In, in that example, this, there, there was no opportunity to even have that seed start to take root. It was there, it was on the surface, it never even got into the ground, and Satan comes and snatches it away. And so, so God's word and power is not even allowed to take root in the hearts of many, all right? That's failure due, due to a lack of knowledge. And, and a lot of times, Jonathan, we have failure due to a lack of knowledge in this life, and okay, there's a, you're, you're still responsible for the failure, but the responsibility isn't as deep as other kinds of failure. But Rick, this changes later in the future in the kingdom, doesn't it? It does. So the question is, does God judge the world based on a lack of knowledge? Because, you know, a lot of Christianity seems to preach that. Well, you know, the billions and billions are going to just go and, and, and burn in hell. Well, first of all, hell is not a scriptural thing. That's a subject for a different day. But let's look at, let's look at Isaiah 11.9, a prophecy of God's future kingdom, and it explains the role of knowledge there. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that's kind of a lot of knowledge. <laughs> that's huge. It is. And, and it's the, everywhere. <laughs> and that's the point. The point is it is abundant and it's everywhere. Okay, so failure's lesson learned for the day of judgment in the future in relation to a lack of knowledge is what? The world's miserable failure, due to their lack of knowledge, will be erased. God's plan intervened, and the future will never allow failure as a result of ignorance. Okay. Now, that's a loving Heavenly Father. You know, and that, that's, such a, that's such a relief thought. You say, okay, if you don't know, God's not going to hold you responsible. The scriptures help us to see that. They help us to understand that. So failure due to a lack of knowledge in our lives today, yeah, you have responsibility for it. But it's not that hard to fix as long as you're humble enough to say, whoa, I didn't know. I better learn. You know, failure due to a lack of knowledge, you can't start to say, um, I failed again and again and again at the same thing due to a lack of knowledge. Now it becomes more of your personal responsibility because now you're lazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> and, and that brings us to the next level of failure, failure due to immaturity. You just don't have enough experience or understanding to be able to succeed. And again, we went through this, these two types of failure in great detail a few weeks ago. But what was failure's lesson learned in, in relation to failure due to immaturity? Well, Rick, fail, failure due to immaturity can provoke growth when we see ourselves as humble children seeking forgiveness, the example and teachings of those who are grown in Christ. Okay, so the idea is if you're immature to be able to recognize, hey, I've got some growing up to do, and then be willing to do the growing up. 
you know, you've got to build that road through failure with your failures. And Rick, I had an amazing experience and your parents were there to help me out. Here I was new and, and reading the scriptures and striving to honor God in my life. And I was privileged to be able to live with your parents for about six months um, to come to a different area uh, in, in, in near you, actually. And what I saw, Rick, was examples of maturity, of what it takes to honor God, mm-hmm. how you live a life. And Rick, I had to have that hands-on watch and see so I could draw that lesson and imp- implement it in me. It was an amazing experience. So that was a, if I, if I can try and sum that up, that was a, it's time for Jonathan to grow up lesson. You got it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, see, and look, we all have those kinds of things where we can have the experiences that can help us to grow up in life. We fail oftentimes because we're just not mature enough. That's okay. The key is once that failure is in place, if you make it a positive, you say that was because of immaturity. You've got to be able to look at it, assess it and say, all right, I don't want to be immature with that anymore. Time to change my actions, time to change my reactions, time to reassess how I approach this so I can act maturely in a more grown up fashion. And your experience you know, just pretty much shows us that. Okay, so failure due to immaturity can be overcome. And again, it's not the worst kind of failure because you haven't grown into something yet. And so we've, we're giving ourselves the opportunity to grow into things. And the way to do it is, like you said, the perfect example. Look around you at those who are more mature. And just like little children, children imitate the adults around them. Let's imitate the maturity, the spiritual maturity around us. But again... What about in God's kingdom? What about in God's day of judgment? Will he come down harshly on failure due to immaturity? Let's go back to um, the, uh, where am I? Oh, there I am. (laughs) Mark Mark chapter 4, back to the parable of the sower and the seeds. Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Okay, so the first seed, remember, was taken away by Satan. All right. Here and but this seed now is choked out. This seed actually can take root a little bit. It's choked out by the individuals themselves due to a desire for comfort in the face of adversity. This is now, but it changes later. Okay. So in other words, you have the ability for growth, but it's just you know it's choked. There, there's it doesn't stand a chance. It's just not mature enough. It doesn't have the strength to overcome the things that are around it. In the future, what does God, how does God react to immaturity? Well, let's look at another prophecy of the future, Zechariah 8.23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And that is, when you think about it, that's a tremendous display of maturity. Because that's what that is saying is, Hey, the way I've done it, 
doesn't get me to where I really need to go. But the way you're doing it, God's with you. I want to be with God, so I'm going to be with you, even if I didn't like you before. <laughs> and how humbling will that be right. to the other nations to respect Israel uh, because of the relationship they have the privilege of having with our Heavenly Father. So God will not judge the world based on immaturity. He will give them an opportunity to grow up. And that's such a, again, a, a relief thought. So what's failure's lesson learned there? The world's miserable failure due to their lack of maturity will be eliminated. God, through Jesus' sacrifice, will never allow immaturity to determine a man's destiny. He, Again, Rick, what a loving Heavenly Father. It is. It gives you a sense of what great justice and mercy working together in God's plan. Now, there's two different kinds of failure, Jonathan, that we didn't talk about the last time we talked about failure. And for the rest of this podcast, we're focusing on these two types. What are they? Failure due to weakness. You do know better. You have done better, but you simply fall anyway. Okay. You know better. You've done better but you make a mistake, but you fall anyway, okay? And what's the other kind of failure? Failure due to choice. Beyond mere weakness, this failure is founded in the idolatry of self-will. Okay, failure due to weakness and failure due to choice. Those are the two types of failure that we're going to be focusing on now in a really, really strong fashion so we can understand how they work. So look, no matter what failure happens, we might... you um. We might use as well be prepared. To be prepared, we have to dig in. Next up is failure due to weakness. Is this kind of failure worse than lack of knowledge and immaturity? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. Failure due to weakness does delve into another pathway that we haven't talked about yet, and this pathway can be a real eye-opener. Failures due to the lack of knowledge and immaturity are dealt with by adding knowledge and by growing up. Failure due to weakness, haha, <laughs> that requires a whole lot more. So when we look at failure due to weakness, Jonathan, we're getting into a whole different area, a whole different level of personal responsibility. And again, failure due to weakness is, just describe it again. It's, um, you do know better, you have done better, but you simply fall anyway. Okay, we're going to take a look at a very powerful example of that uh, in Scripture uh, in, in just a moment here. This type of failure, failure due to weakness, can come upon us even when we are mature and experienced and can be a serious eye-opener to help us with exponential growth. And see, this is the thing. This is the type of failure that really can, can humble you, can make you feel really bad because you think you're stronger than you are or you get into a situation and it shows you that you're not as strong as you should be and then you fail. And this is, this is a hard type of failure to deal with. But there is good news at the end of it if we stay with the right way to look at it. So we want growth from failure. So Jonathan, we picked a scriptural example of somebody who had a massive, massive failure meltdown due to weakness. 
This is the Apostle Peter. Let's go to Matthew. Let's start with Matthew 26, 33 to 35. But Peter said to him, even though all my all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Okay, so Peter is proclaiming plainly that I am going to stay by your side, Jesus, no matter what, even if it costs me my life. I'm strong enough to handle it. Right. So not me. I'm not going to fall away. Right. Because you mean too much to me. And you know what? I believe what he said. I believe that his heart was right there, and I me believe too. that his, 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 his focus was clear, and he was dead serious about this. Now, here's the thing. Our failures due to weakness are often set up in a way that we really do know the right answer before we end up giving and living the wrong answer. So Peter makes this proclamation, and Jesus actually told him previously, you know, in the scripture you read, look, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's response to that was, it was not, what? It was, oh, no, 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 no. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I will not go down that road. So Jesus, now you'd think that you've been with Jesus for years. You've heard him say everything and whatever he says comes to be. And you'd think you'd say, huh, maybe I better take a second look at this. What happens, Jonathan, is our emotions get the best of us. And Peter, with every good intention said to Jesus, oh, no, 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 I won't deny you. I'm going to stay with you. Not me, Lord, not me. Well, let's go later that very same night. Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. I'm going to take this in a lot of little pieces. And a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. All right, now now let's pause there for a second. He denies Jesus, but you notice how general the denial is? It's just a general sweeping statement. I don't know what you're talking about. And that's a, a, a you know, a, it's a great way to get out, get your wiggle, wiggle out of something. It's a, it's a lie, first of all. Sure. So I shouldn't say it's a great way to wiggle out of something. That was bad on no, my part. No. <laughs> You're right. You know what I mean. It's, it's a, it's a convenient way. It's what I meant to say to wiggle out of. There is a failure right there, Jonathan, in, in public <laughs> before thousands and thousands of people. There you go. Okay. Grow from it, brother. All Grow right. From it. All right. <laughs> but it, it's a general sweeping statement. I don't know what you're talking about. Just a way to to avoid the issue, avoid the details, and just try and move on. Well, what happens? Let's go to verses 71 and 72. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. You see how the, the denial escalates. And it's interesting, Rick, he, he kind of wanted to move away yeah. from the people so he wouldn't have to deal with it, but uh-uh, someone caught him anyway. Right, and, and it says, and again, he denied it with an oath. 
So now he is, he's making this promise, this, he's putting this solemnity on what he says, and he says now, I do not know the man. This is so much more specific than, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. And so he's getting himself in deeper. And what happens, Jonathan, is our weaknesses, that when we get into this situation, Peter is like us, we're like Peter, and you tend to pile on to your failure instead of admit it and back away from your failure. And that's where Peter was, that the situation was difficult, so he denied him with an oath. I do not know the man. Verses 73 and 74. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. See, now he is emphatic. Now he's angry. Now he's just lashing out at the people around him. And he is taking the, I don't know what you're talking about, and the oath, I don't know the man. And now he's adding the cursing and the swearing. And and it's now it's an emotional reaction because... Just denying hadn't been enough. It- and Rick, he, he's, a, he's really trying to step away from the way you talk gives you away. Oh, yeah, you want to hear words that, that are not going to go along with the way I, I talk? Cursing and swearing, which was out of character. Right. He was trying to go to the farthest extreme from what they judged him on. And so he, he has walked right into a massive massive failure because what happens right after that and immediately a rooster crowed and that's exactly what jesus told him would happen and then we drop in a scripture from luke here because it's not in the matthew account but it 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 adds a very very personal dimension what is that luke scripture the lord turned and looked at peter can you even imagine put yourself in those shoes You have just vehemently, emphatically, you denied him. He heard you, and he looks at you. And what's Peter's reaction? And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Peter had no place else to go. He tried to deny because of the pressure of the situation. He tried to be specific in his denial with an oath, and then he got emphatic and over the top and out of character. But the, 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 I think the real killer for him was Jesus looking at him, and he knew. He knew. And see, that's the beautiful thing about Peter. You can see his character borne out here. He made a huge, had a huge failure here. But when he is confronted with it, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. What went wrong? Peter's circumstances overwhelmed his strength, and he fell prey to what was around him. He fell prey to the circumstance, to the challenge, to the the feeling of the moment, to the pressure. He just wasn't strong enough. Failure due to weakness, and this is a big failure, very big failure. Rick, I've got a personal experience, and I fell to fear and peer pressure myself. It was in high school, uh, two young guys saying, hey, do you party? Uh, I was thinking, oh, they've got a beer. I liked beer when I was in high school. So I sure went to their car 
And they pulled out a joint, and I was not expecting that. And in my mind, I was never going to go down that road and do drugs because I just thought that was the stupidest thing that anyone should do. And it is, well, incidentally. but <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, oh, here you go, because I said I partied. And so I pretended, oh, you're not doing it right, they said. You're not doing it right. You've got, you got to do it this way. And the peer pressure, I fell into the weakness of that moment. And the problem with that moment is it, it lasted for eight years oh, from man. that beginning. And that was the saddest point <laughs> in my life where from that moment of weakness and failure, I went downhill fast. It was so sad. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm so glad you, you, you shared that story because that is a typical story of the human experience where we, we do something or have something happen in our lives and we just get stuck in it. And it just, and then the vortex of the, the strength of the pull is too much to pull out of. And you know, for you, that moment was eight years. And yes. that, that's, a, that's a powerfully difficult thing to have to deal with. We're going to have to get back to that story later, I think. But, to, you know, and, and, and I think the remedy for Peter's failure and the remedy for your failure are exactly yes. the same thing. And it's the powerful intervening words of, and challenge of Jesus. For Peter, it was face-to-face encounter with Jesus after Jesus was raised in John 21, 17. We're just going to read one, one, one verse from this, this encounter. And, 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 you know, and Jonathan, just before you read it, sometimes the remedy for our failure due to weakness comes much later. For Peter, mm-hmm. this was much later. For you, it was much, 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 much later. Yes. But, but it still came. Anyway, Peter's remedy, John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. So the response of Jesus to the failure of Peter was to look at him, to show that he trusted in him, even though he had made even though he had blundered so terribly, so awfully, so completely on that night when Jesus was abandoned by everyone. And Jesus knew Peter's heart. And that's the beauty of the remedy. And he said, I know your heart. I know that's not what you meant to do. I know you were weak. Do you love me? And he said it three times. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Okay. So, and it took, incidentally, for Peter to come follow Jesus, Jesus had to call him three times, three separate occasions. What a loving way our Lord Jesus helped him yeah. to, to build up from that mistake. And guess what? In the kingdom, it's not going to be any different in helping humanity. Right, right. Because that's his father's character, and that's his character. So the remedy was the powerful intervening words and challenge of Jesus. Great quote from Robert F. Kennedy. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Peter's a great example of that. You know, his weakness, his immaturity, he grew up and became an incredibly powerful example of Christ-likeness. Let's go back to Evan Hansen. Remember, he's the young man who was born after his 
pre his brother sibling died because his mom was very very weak and went through all of the 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 issues of of having to be in the hospital she had to be in the hospital when she was pregnant with him for 108 days uh before he was born let's let's just hear what this did to him in his life in relation to failure now as i grew up with the knowledge that my very existence stemmed from adversity I began to believe that I should do everything in my power to avoid failure. But somewhere along the line, I began to see the beauty of failure. I began to realize that we are not defined by how we succeed, but that we are defined by how we fail. Now, at some point in time, every one of us has failed. There's no denying it. And while logic might dictate that failure is something to avoid, it is imperative to understand that personal failure is one of the most important building blocks necessary to create positive changes in this world. It's also important to understand that failure is not the same as quitting or using excuses to validate falling short of our potential. Embracing failure involves understanding that each time we do not succeed, we can use our failures as leverage to strengthen our resolve and to face our obstacles with newfound knowledge and fresh perspectives. And really, that's what we're looking to do here today with this podcast is focus on how do you leverage those failures to the beauty of success as a result of them. So let's go to another failure due to weakness remedy. This one in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And it really has two main points here. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Okay, so right there. The power comes from God, not from ourselves. So that's a simple humility first lesson. Continue. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. See, what, what he's saying in these verses is that, okay, we can go through all kinds of great difficulty and, and trial and hardship, but it's not going to take us out because we're carrying about with us the dying of the Lord Jesus. So the life of Jesus will be manifested in us. So it's saying, change the source of your strength. You have to be humble first. And then you have to say, the strength doesn't come from me, it comes from above. It comes from Christ my Lord to help me walk through these things because he did it first. So what's failure's lesson learned in relation to failure uh, due to weakness? Well, Rick, failure due to weakness is a true window into our fallen humanity and can be used as a vital tool of growth if we are willing to accept the intervening challenges and teachings of discipleship. Okay. We all fail because we all are weak at times. This is a great window. This is an opportunity. It's a window into your humanity. And it, it can be a vital tool because when you see yourself fail because of weakness, you can say, okay, there's a flaw in my humanity. Good. I can recognize it. And by the grace of God, I can learn to cope with it. A lot of times, Jonathan, we, we think that just because we recognize the failures in our, in our lives and due to weakness, we can, we can change them. Sometimes our weaknesses will never go away. And that's okay. Because when a weakness doesn't go away, what you learn to do is compensate for it. And if you know you're weak in this particular area, here's a simple solution. Don't go there anymore. Avoid it. Right. <laughs> you know, that's how to put things in perspective. So bottom line, 
Let's focus. As I grew up on, with the knowledge, oh, you know, that I gotta stop doing that. You know that? <laughs> okay. Anyway, bottom line, let's focus on turning our weakness failures into growth experiences. Good thought. But what about the future? Will God's plan treat failure because of weakness with eternal harshness in His future judgment? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. So, Jonathan, when you think about it, failure due to weakness is a hallmark of the human race. And it makes sense to many Christians that God would focus on and attack such a hallmark. However... When we look at the scriptures on this type of failure related to God's judgment, we see an entirely different story. And, and that's the beauty of this, is, is we want to focus this segment now on, okay, how does God look at failure due to weakness when it comes to his judgment upon humanity? So we'll get to that in a second, but first, some failure due to weakness symptoms. What are they? Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought giving in to peer or situational pressure, having and feeding our natural and imperfect tendencies. Okay. We fail due to weakness because we think too highly of ourselves. We give in to just like, just like you when you're in high school. You gave in that one time and it led to an eight-year path of misery. That's right. Situational pressures or just having experiences that feed on our natural weaknesses. And folks, we, there are ways to deal with those kinds of things. So, and one of the ways to deal with those kinds of things is to be able to focus on it. Let, we're going to go to a different, uh, different soundbite now. This is Tony Robbins, a very, very powerful, powerful motivational speaker. Um, and this is from a talk that he gave uh, at a session called The Power of Choice. So this is just a, a short part of that session. What is the single force that controls the quality of your life? If there was one gift our Creator has given us, or the universe, whatever you believe, what is it, what is the one power that you have right now in this moment that can change everything? You have it, I have it, we all have it. It's this one singular individual power that can change anything in our life, regardless of what's happened to us. And I know you know the answer. The answer is the power of choice. The one thing we have in this world is we can't control the events, but we can choose what to focus on, we can choose what things mean, and we can choose what to do. Those three choices, those three decisions really control our life. It's not so much the conditions of our life that control our destiny as much as the decisions of our life. That is such a powerful statement. It's not the conditions of our life that control our destiny. It's the decisions of our life. And when we're sp focusing on failure due to weakness, the way to begin to cope with that is to make the choice to cope with it. Make the choice to rise above for your strength, to do something different. And like we were saying before, if, if, if it's an area of, of, of continual weakness, just don't go there anymore. Just That's don't right. go there anymore. You, and, and sometimes we have to do that because, look, we're imperfect human beings. Set up roadblocks. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, you know, and, and, and look, Jonathan, a couple of months ago or a month ago, whatever it was, we did a program on um, a podcast on pornography. And yes. for a lot of men specifically, that is a place that they just can't control. 
you get involved in that and you get sucked in and it keeps you and it holds you and it ruins you. So the answer is shut the door. Just close it because you're too weak to be able to cope with it. Just close it and walk the other way. That's a choice. And that's what Tony Robbins was talking about. So let's focus now on God's judgment. With the level of the world's human weaknesses so overwhelming, it might seem like God messed up. I mean, when you look at humanity, you think, man, (laughs) does God really have this under control? And the answer is yes, he does. Did God's plan go wrong? Well, let's. Jonathan's shaking his head no. I'm shaking my head no. (laughs) Just to let you know, they can't see you shake your head, okay? (laughs) And that reminds me, folks, uh, if you haven't checked it out, please check out. We have a new video on ChristianQuestions.com about how, how Christian Questions got started. It's on the right-hand side of the of the front page. It's about an 11-minute video that gives you a little bit of our history of what happened and along the way to get us to the point where we are now podcasting. It's a fascinating view of, of the journey that God has taken us on here. Well, what what did shaking my head no, uh, no you know, <laughs> trigger that thought to watch that video? Yeah, because the very first radio broadcast we ever did, instead of talking, you started, you were nodding your head in I agreement. I was nodding my head. You got it. <laughs> anyway, folks, check it out, ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, did God's plans go wrong? Let's go back to the parable of the sower, and now the third group of seed. And again, this is going to be in relation to failure due to weakness. Mark 4, 18 and 19. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Okay, so in the very in, in this parable, we had seeds, the original failure, failure due to lack of knowledge, seeds sown by Satan. Then the seeds were choked out. That's failure due to immaturity. And now we have seeds that grow among thorns. This gives people a place where they can say what they think as well as a place where they can actually find biblical answers to the dilemmas of their lives. Taking root, but just too weak to flourish. Too much in the way. Failure due to weakness. That's what happens to so many folks when they see the, Christi- the message of the gospel. They see it, it looks good, but they just don't have the strength to hold on to really find out the depth of the message. And those that um, are part of the prosper- proster- prosperity gospel, they should read this one. Yeah. <laughs> Worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches. You know, yeah, that's a warning. That's a danger there. And and some are pushing people to saying, oh, pray to God and he'll give you everything you want. Th- that's the opposite of, of what we need to do. No, if we pray to God earnestly, he'll give us everything he wants for us. Ah, much better. A whole different story. Okay. <laughs> so, so too much in the way here. And again, failure due to weakness. Uh, good, good quote by Dennis Waitley. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It is temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So, go ahead. Well, well, Rick, a great way to have failure as your teacher would be to go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, because there's graphics and illustrations of every podcast that we do, and it's... All you do is you hit the newsletter sign-up tab and you register and you get it for free. And it's going to help you 
in understanding what you need to do to overcome your weaknesses. So it, it, it gives you the scriptures and the commentary, and it's a free service. You can get it through the Christian Questions app, and if you don't have the Christian Questions app on your smartphone, what are you waiting for for that? But Seeker Rewind, the full edition, a free service. Give it a try. It's a tool to help us deal with and use our failures to become successes. So let, let's go now, Jonathan, to another soundbite. This is from Success... Uh, failure and the drive to keep creating from Elizabeth Gilbert. This is another TED Talk, and she she talks a little fast. And boy, for me to say somebody talks fast means <laughs> they must talk a little fast. Um, but uh, she's very profound in what she is talking about. She is the woman who wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love, which actually became a a, a hit movie. So this is her talking about success and failure. So think of it like this: for most of your life, you live out your existence here in the middle of the chain of human experience, where everything is normal and reassuring and regular. But failure catapults you abruptly way out over here into the blinding darkness of disappointment. Success catapults you just as abruptly, but just as far, way out over here into the equally blinding glare of fame and recognition and praise. One of these fates is objectively seen by the world as bad. And、the other one is objectively seen by the world as good, but your subconscious is completely incapable of discerning the difference between bad and good. The only thing that it is capable of feeling is the absolute value of this emotional equation, the exact distance that you have been flung from yourself. And there's a real equal danger in both cases of getting lost out there in the hinterlands of the psyche. The hinterlands of the psyche. Well, there you go. But you know, she makes such an important point that, and that, and she's explaining why so many people, when they they achieve great success, end up failing, because it's so far out of the norm of their lives, they don't know how to manage it, and 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 so great success becomes great failure. And when you fail at great success, boy, is that depressing. So it, it's a very important lesson that she's talking to us about that we just don't understand when we get out of what what our normal comfort zone is, and a lot of us have a very big area in life that's our comfort zone, and we will not step a single toe out of that comfort zone. So, in relation to God and His judgment in the future upon the world. What is God's future remedy for this failure due to weakness? Now, again, this is for the world. Now, true Christianity plays a role in this remedy in a very, very big way. So, the remedy is prepared for ahead of time. We know that First Peter two nine to twelve is what we're going to focus on here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. Who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so there, there's some、uh, important things going on in this in these verses of the scripture. First of all, this is giving an active description of what true Christianity is called to do and to be. And it's a lot of different things: a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, and so forth. You were once not a people, but you've now been catapulted into this new category, just like uh, um, Elizabeth Gilbert was just talking about. You're catapulted out of your normal realm of being, and sometimes it gets uncomfortable. But he's he's saying to us here, you have received mercy, a very powerful mercy. So. 
God's remedy for the world is going to come through true Christianity in their jobs as described here as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and so forth and so on. So secondly now, Christians are called out of the world and up from the world to be presently trained trained here, trained now, for a future work. Now, see, that's the thing about being a Christian, Jonathan. A lot of times Christians think, oh, I'm a Christian, I love God, I love Jesus, I'm going to live and love God and Jesus, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to heaven, and things would be good. Well, yeah, things would be good. But you're getting trained for a job. I mean, <laughs> that's the point here. You're being trained for a job, for a future work of ministering, encouraging, and leading a weak and sinful world of men to God. A world of miserable failures need to be led to God. Let's go back to First uh, Peter chapter two, verse eleven. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Got to fight against your weaknesses. That is a clear-cut, present-day challenge for every Christian. Therefore. Our managing of our failures now will help us guide the world later. That's why we have to do it now, because we're learning how to be powerful guides for the sake of God through Christ. Verses, uh, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God in the day of visitation. All right, Jonathan, let's pause here for a moment because this is an odd scripture. It talks about people looking at your life, making fun of you, slandering you, talking down to you, talking down about you. But it's then saying those same people are going to glorify God because of your example in the day of visitation. What, 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 what is that? Rick, the day of judgment is the day of visitation. It's the kingdom that Jesus taught us to pray for on earth. And God's timing is different than ours. Remember in the scriptures, a day to the Lord is a thousand years. Uh, Peter said that in 2 Peter 3.8. And he was actually um, referring back to Isaiah 40 verse 8, really reading it word for word, helping us to understand that in this day of visitation, God's patience is going to help with Christ in the church to bring all of humanity, lift them up, help them to understand what they need to do to have everlasting life. Okay, so what you're saying then is that the present experiences of a Christian that are in contradiction to the world around them, that, right ca now. Right, yep. that cause us grief, that cause us headaches, that cause us persecution. And folks, look, if you, if you in the, with, with, with what you know as, as a Christian, are not contrary to the world around you, then I would suggest, honestly and truly, that you take a look at the mirror and you start to ask yourself, how did I represent Christ today? Not how did I represent the things I like about Christ so my friends wouldn't be offended today, but how did I represent Christ today? Because... Our lives should be out of character with the world around us. And it's not, everybody's not going to, people, some people will look up to it, but a lot of people are going to look at it and like, oh, come on, get, just get, get over yourself, will you? Well, but, Rick, look at Jesus and the scribes right, and Pharisees. Right. I mean, he went through exactly what we're supposed to go through. Right, right. So this text tells us 
that they, the world, will at the future time, at, at that future time rather, be able to recognize and respond to the experiences of their future priesthood true Christians. This means the failures of weakness and blindness of this age will be wiped away from their lives. So they will be able to overcome the weakness. So the failures lesson learned in relation to weakness then is what? The world's miserable failures due to their incredible weaknesses will be a thing of the past. They will be eradicated to such an extent that mankind will be uh, will be all capable of recognizing righteousness and glorifying God as a result. Okay, so the bottom line is that when it comes to God's judgment upon the world, and again, a lot of Christians look at Judgment Day as a 24-hour thing. It's not, but the, when it comes to God's judgment upon the world, failure due to weakness is not going to be the way God judges them. And we, we know that he gives them an opportunity to overcome the weakness by looking at this verse that we were just talking about, about glorifying God in the day of visitation. How do they glorify God in the day of visitation when they were casting aspersions toward those Christian examples? Because they're able to grow up into Christ. They were able to later on become more Christ-like, more God-like in their characters, more upstanding, more righteous, more clear, more focused. And so God will not judge humanity based on weakness. What a loving creator. It is an incredible, incredible experience to realize that. Look, we need to deal with our failures due to our weaknesses in this world right here, right now, no matter who you are. And again, if you have a lot of weaknesses in a specific area and you're not able to really overcome them, then you have to walk away from them. There's no question about that. But in dealing with our failure due to our weakness in this world right here, right now, it's going to the Word of God, leaning on the power of God so that through Christ, so that we can be lifted up, just like Peter was lifted up through the words and challenge of Jesus. But in the future, failure due to weakness will not play a part in humanity's role. So the bottom line is we can learn to manage and grow from failure due to weakness. But we're not done, Rick. There is one last pathway that failure gets us on, the pathway of choice. Why did we save this one for last? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. So Jonathan, failure due to our personal choices is the most insidious kind of failure as it implies that there is ample knowledge of the situation, sufficient maturity to recognize the gravity of the situation, and no inherent weakness that overwhelmed us in facing the situation. This level of failure, failure due to personal choices, acts against righteousness and godliness simply because it wants to. Now look, Deception can bring us failure on any of the first three paths. With a lack of knowledge, yes, deception can play a part. Immaturity, deception can play a part. Uh, weakness, deception can play a part. But not here. Failure due to choice is failure due to choice. You are making the choice to do something in a very bad way. So failure due to choice means what? Beyond mere weakness, this failure is founded in the idolatry 
of self-will. The idolatry of self-will. Let's take a look at that through the verse, one verse of a song, a very short clip from a song uh, from Luther Ingram, if, if Loving You Is Wrong. This, folks, is the idolatry of self-will. Your mom and dad is sick. It's a shame. It's a downright disgrace. But long as I got you by my side, I don't care what your people say. Your friends tell you it's no future in loving a married man. If I can't see you when I want, I'll see you when I can. Okay, let's put this in perspective. That is the idolatry of self-will. Poor choice. It, it, you know, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. What you're doing in this is you're saying a sacred covenant of marriage before God is something that I decide I want to violate, so I'm just going to do it. That is about as shameful as shameful can be. The idolatry of self-will. And, and you know, it's a nice tune, but it has a horrible message. It does. It just does. But again, we used it because, of, because it's a horrible message. So look, the sin of choice always sins of choice always have the most clear-cut final consequences if there are, is no intervention or reversal. And here we have many scriptural examples. I mean, there are a ton of scriptural examples of sins of choice. We're going to example, examine just one. And this is a pretty serious example of the sin of choice. And it's someone that a lot of us wouldn't expect. But because he spoke, he described himself in his previous life. We're going to talk about it. It's the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. In Acts 26, uh, he uh, describes himself and the way he was as Saul of Tarsus in his persecution. Listen in this first section, as Jonathan reads, to the degree and the depth of degradation that he stooped to on purpose. So we're going to go verses 9 through 12, Acts 26. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Okay, so this is a mouthful. I mean, first of all, it starts out, so then I thought to myself, that's a key indicator that I am fabricating these things in my own head. I had to do hostile things. I, I, I locked many of them up in prison. I cast my vote against them when they were on trial for life. I punished them in the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. He tried to force these human beings to speak contradictions against themselves by putting pressure on them and by, and, and by bearing down on them. 
He was, Jonathan, this is the Apostle Paul before. He was evil. He chose. It's, you know, a lot of times we look at it and we, we want to believe that, well, you know, Paul was just following orders and he was falling in line and there was a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's true. But he describes it himself here. And this is not just following orders. No. He, he took it to a whole new level on his own. And so you ask the question, well, well, okay, well, let me ask you, well, what went wrong? Saul was angry and passionate enough to rationalize his own breaking of the sacred Jewish law that he had so loved and upheld. He chose to escalate the unjust persecution. It was a failure due to choice, and it was a massive failure due to choice. And the chief priest didn't stop him or, or correct him in what, what's appropriate and what's not. Right, right. They just let it go because he was taking the ball and running with it. And they're like, hey, we've got a winner here. Let's just, let's just keep him going. So I, massive failure on the part yes. of, of Saul of Tarsus. All right, before we get into fixing that, finding the remedy for that failure, let's go back to Tony Robbins, best uh, motivational video, 2015, Power of Choice, founded on YouTube, uh, talking about decisions equal destiny. So decisions equal destiny. It's not our conditions, it's our decisions. So if we want a new life, if we want a new experience, we've got to make new choices. If you don't like the way your career is or your business is, change it. If you don't like your body, change it. If you don't like your relationship, change you first. Because if you change it, you'll bring you to the next one. Maybe it's time to change it too, but change yourself first. If you want to change anything in your life, you have the choice. So there is no right or wrong. I just want to make you aware in this breakthrough session that everything in our life changes the moment we make a decision. And I mean a real decision. A decision is when you cut off any other possibility and you commit to something with everything you've got and you take action. All right. So, you know, he, he's, he's really focusing his audience on, you know, changing the thing, changing you. He kept talking about changing you. And he did, did talk about relationships in there. And, and folks, look, you know, just want to mention you ought not to be changing your marriage relationship, you know, just. No, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. Just want to put that in, in place. You know, it's a sacred covenant before God. There are, there are legitimate reasons. We're not getting into that right now. But that is something sacred. The point is, you have to make choices. And especially when we have failed because of our choices, we really need to make choices. There's a great quote here from Zig Ziglar on this. It's not how far you fall, but how high you bounce that counts. That's right. You gotta be you gotta be a little Tigger going on there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Should have thrown a soundbite from Tigger in there just to lighten it up. Uh, so Failure due to choice. It is deeply serious. We're using Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, in his previous life uh, as a persecutor of Christians as an example. So what was the remedy for the failure of Saul of Tarsus? The remedy was the personal, powerful, and dramatic intervening words and challenge of Jesus. Let's go to, again, Acts 26. Now he's continuing his description of himself in verses 13 through 15. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me, and we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? 
And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So again, here, what we have is the same principle as with Peter. Jesus knew the heart of Saul of Tarsus. And he knew that if he could show him what was right and challenge him towards what was right, he could get him on the right path because his heart was right, but he had chosen to do some very wrong and vile, vile things. And, and, and Jonathan, this reminds me of your story. Uh, so let's get back to your story about, uh, about past failure. And, and this was a wake-up call for Saul. And I had a wake-up call after eight years, Rick, and it was not an easy experience. But the woman I married, we were only married for six months, a party girl, she cheated on me and left our home. My world came crashing down, thank God. And I say that because this is the turning point that I did a lot of soul searching, Rick. I did, I realized I, who, I didn't know who I was, wh where I was going, I, I needed answers, and my prayer on bended knee for three months was, Lord, I know you're out there. Give me direction. I need direction. Help me. I need you now. I didn't need you before. I need you now. And by God's grace, Rick, the Lord answered my prayer and directed me to someone that I could appreciate, respect, and start learning God's word and there I found my purpose, and God gave me the direction I asked for. But it took a, a, an earth-shattering experience to get me out of that funk. And, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes with great, great failures comes that great crashing and burning, and then comes the great salvation if we are ready for it in heart and mind. Now, it, a lot of times it's not dramatic, and I imagine that your path up was a slow and steady process. It wasn't like yes. you woke up one day and suddenly you're super Jonathan and able to, you know, impervious no. to all the previous difficulties. Uh, you know, No, Rick, I went through all the stages of failure as I went. <laughs> okay, but see, the beauty of it, and folks, if you pay attention to the way Jonathan told the story, the beauty of it is he said, I went through all the stages of failure. In other words, each stage was another stepping stone to finding real meaning in life. And that's what failure is supposed to do for us as Christians. That's what we've got to look for. That's what we've got to focus on. What, the story, Jonathan, your, your, your life is a great example of, of finding a way to apply the things that can actually make a big difference in, in our lives. Great, great, great example. Uh, let's go to another soundbite. Let's go back to Elizabeth uh, Gilbert, the TED Talk. Again, she's the, uh, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, the book, and then the movie. And she's talking about success, failure, and the drive to keep creating. And she says something in the soundbite, Jonathan, I think is profound. And this really applies actually to your story. It's about finding home. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, we'll just, just take a listen. And if you're wondering what your home is, here's a hint. Your home is whatever in this world you love more than you love yourself. So that might be creativity, it might be family, it might be invention, adventure, faith, service, it might be raising corgis, I don't know. Your home is that thing to which you can dedicate your energies with such singular devotion that the ultimate results become inconsequential. For me, that home has always been writing. 
And for you, Jonathan, that home was Christ. That's right. Serving the Lord. You found home, and it helped you to focus and to get through all those stages of failure. So let's get now back to uh, Saul of Tarsus, okay, because he's he's telling his story to King Agrippa. So Saul was—Jesus came— in a vision, and spoke to him, said, Saul, you're persecuting me. Saul was now confronted with the enemy, but the enemy wasn't Jesus. The enemy was himself. He saw the enemy. He saw his choices, and then he chose again. This time, he chose to follow godliness and righteousness. This time, he chose to defeat the true enemy, and he changed his life entirely. Verses 19 through 21 of Acts chapter 26. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. Interesting how they're trying to do to him what he did to so many. But yes. but he's, here's the thing, Jonathan. He says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. You see, this is the first time he saw a heavenly vision. All the other visions that were in his head were earthly, diabolical, evil visions that were distorted pictures of truth. He didn't understand until now. And when he understood what was truth, he ran for it. Saul became Paul and lived the change that he chose to make. So even though his failures were as a result of choice, his overcoming was a result of choice as well. A big choice, a monumental choice, a spiritual godly choice that changed his life. And Rick, I'm sure they just um, pushed him forward because of what he did persecuting the church, that it drove him to serve the Lord so much more because of how bad it was. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is it did. It pushed him, but he had to overcome now the skepticism of all of the brotherhood because oh, you're right. they knew who he was. And they're thinking, oh, now this is a great trap. This is pretend to be one of us now, huh? And they had to cut. So, you know, you've got growth showing everywhere because of these sins of choice. So failures lessened learned due to failure due to choice is what? Well, Rick, failure due to choice requires dramatic intervention and a dramatic personal response at this level of failure in symptomatic of a character and conscience that are seriously damaged by sin. Half measures will not work. Only total commitment to change will work. So when we are engaged in failures due to choices, not weakness anymore, and, and Jonathan, a lot of times we can say to ourselves, well, it's just weakness, and, but see, if you're repeating that over and over again, you're making a choice to live in weakness. You are. And there's a higher level of accountability for that. So do not fool yourself. God is not mocked. What a man sows, that he also reaps. We've got to realize that our failure due to choice requires dramatic intervention. And again, it was dramatic intervention from Jesus. It was the challenge to follow him. It was understanding what was true. And then it was the humility to accept that intervention and to do something spectacular with it. Just a quick scripture before we close this uh, segment, Lamentations 3.22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. 
And that is why we can t- focus on our failures due to our choices with great confidence, because God's compassions never fail. We can understand those things and have great confidence in his character, in his focus, in his, in his, in his presence in our lives. So, Jonathan, truly bad choices lead to true misery in life. That's right, Rick. We can see how failure due to choice can be devastating. How will God judge these types of failures? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com through all our social media channels and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. And Jonathan, just as we talked about, this kind of failure, failure as a result of a choice, is the most dangerous and debilitating kind of failure. Coming back from it is difficult because coming back requires a complete overhaul in approach. No half measures allowed here. God does deal with this kind of failure in a different way than the other three kinds of failure, and the difference in his dealings is really, really important. So, you know, we have seen, Jonathan, through our last two podcasts on failure, God will not hold the world accountable for uh, lack of knowledge. He will fix that. God will not hold the world accountable for being immature. He'll help them grow up. God will not hold the world accountable for weakness. He will show them how to find strength. What about choice? That is where accountability truly lives. Great quote quote from Henry Ford. The only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And Rick, that that reminds me. So don't make a mistake and miss out on CQ Rewind, the full edition. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register now for this wonderful outline with graphics, illustrations, On this subject specifically, it will help in your decision-making to make the right choices. And to take your failures and turn them into stepping stones towards success. CQ Rewind, the full edition, it is a free service available at ChristianQuestions.com, and you can get it through your Christian Questions app on your smartphone. Okay, what are some of the uh, failure of choice symptoms? Symptoms that that show us, you know, people, when you get into failing... uh, by choosing, what, what, what kinds of things are you starting to do? Ignoring what we broke, justifying our actions with passion, blaming others. All right. So there's, some, you know, there, there's lots of ways that we can identify failure due to choice. Now, here's a failure identification question. And this covers all the kinds of failure. Was I ignorant? Was I immature? Was I weak? Or did I follow my ego? That'll help you figure out what kind of failure you're dealing with and then how to deal with it accordingly. Let's go back to Tony Robbins one last time, The Power of Choice. And here in this particular piece, he's talking about changing your personal history. And again, it all comes down to choice. And of course, for us as Christians, it comes down to choice and heavily comes down to God's grace. I think in life, there's three things. There's our ability to choose what we're focused on, to commit, to, to get a result, put all our intention and focus into something. There's our ability to do the right things, to have the right strategy to execute. And then there's some grace. There's 
what some people call luck, some people call grace. There's if you do the right things over and over again and with total focus, sometimes, you know, you get good fortune that comes your way. And you tend to have more good fortune when you're totally focused and decisive and you take lots of action than if you kind of just sit around and accept things like that you don't have a future. We forget that you don't have to be famous to have the ability to change at least your own personal history. And, and you know, he, and he's talking to a wide variety in his audience. And but, but you know, he starts off down great paths. Grace, look for a Christian. If you have faith in God through Christ, grace and the power of God's overruling are life-changing elements that you Amen. that you've got to look for hold on to, especially when we've had failure due to choice. So now let's focus on failure due to choice in terms of God's judgment. And we've been doing this with every aspect of failure. And this final segment now, for the rest of the segment, we're looking at what does God do with choices later on in the uh, day of judgment? So with the kind of choices our human race makes right now, it can make belief in God look pretty foolish because when you look at the choices that surround us, you look at the world and say, man, this world doesn't even begin to resemble godliness on any level. So again, we ask the question, well, did God's plan go wrong? Nope, didn't, didn't. This I'm is shaking part- my head now again. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> so let, let's go back to the explanation from the parable of the sower. Now there's the fourth group of seeds. Remember you had the, by the wayside, the thorny ground and the stony ground. What's the fourth group? Mark 4, verse 20. And those are the ones whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they heard the word and accepted it and bear fruit. Thirty. 60, and a hundredfold. So there's no failure in this one. You know, this is showing the power, the results of good choice. The three were show, previous were showing failure. This is showing the power of making the right kinds of choices. This good choice is because the ground, the character of that person is ready to receive God's word so it can flourish. This is a dramatic contrast to the previous three conditions. First, Satan's influence Keeping, keeping success away, that was the lack of knowledge. Second, the rocky ground of immaturity. And third, the thorny ground of weakness. These three things take away choice. Well, you take these three, three, let me start again, Rick. Take these three things away, and now choices become clear. So if we can find a way in God's future, in God's day of judgment, of taking away the... Uh, Satan taking away knowledge, the rocky ground of immaturity, and the thorny ground of weakness, then you've got a different environment to work with. We're going to get to that in just one second. Let's go back to Elizabeth Gilbert, TED Talk, one last time. Again, very successful individual who met with a lot of failure along her road to success. And in the last soundbite from her, she was talking about finding your home, finding that which is more important to you than your very life. Here, she's going to talk about what to do once you find that home. Look, I don't know where you rightfully live, but I know that there's something in this world that you love more than you love yourself. Something worthy, by the way, so addiction and infatuation don't count, because we all know that those are not safe places to live, right? The only trick is that you've got to identify the best, worthiest thing that you love most, and then build your house right on top of it, and don't budge from it. And if you should someday, somehow, get vaulted out of your home by either great failure or great success, then your job is to fight your way back to that home the only way that it has ever been done, 
by putting your head down and performing with diligence and devotion and respect and reverence whatever the task is that love is calling forth from you next. That soundbite should resonate in everyone's life every day. Find that which is bigger than you. Find that which drives you in your life. That's just beyond you as a human being. And, and Jonathan, look, you know, just to, to be blunt, for you and for I, there it's the same cause. It's the it cause. Is. It's the cause of Christ. It's the, it's the gospel of the kingdom of Christ that is is so important that everything else becomes secondary. And if it, and, and and folks, here's here's the point. If you can find that that dedication to Christ, if you're a Christian, that should be it. That should be the thing. And in your failures, you just have to decide, does this belong in my home? Or have I been vaulted out of my home because of this failure and this tendency and these habits and this peer pressure and this immaturity and all of those other things and these choices? And when we find ourselves acting out of accordance with what our home dictates, you got to fight your way back to it. Such a great, great picture that she paints for us. Uh, in- and, and Rick, the peace that it gives you to, to live as a man of integrity, yeah. of being honest and caring and vulnerable and, and just trying to help others. What, what a way to live. Well, you know, and, and, and the interesting thing is for you to say that after your life experiences that you talked about, is a very powerful statement because you know you had a sense of vulnerability in that eight-year period as well. Oh yes. But the result of that vulnerability in that eight-year period was pain mm-hmm. and suffering and misery and more failure and darkness. Absolutely. And you talked about being vulnerable now in your present experience. And the result of that vulnerability is entirely different. Absolutely. Why? Because you have found what is most important to you, and you are staying with it. Just like the Apostle Paul. Once he found the cause of Christ, he lived for it, and he died for it. That is how failure can be dealt with in our lives. So, Jonathan, let's get to God's future remedy for failure due to choice. Well, what is it? Well, and here's the thing. God's going to wipe away... All of the other excuses. So all that's left is choice. First thing God will do in the day of judgment is he's going to grant full disclosure. What does that do? This solves the lack of knowledge failure. Okay. We can fail due to lack of knowledge, but not in the day of judgment. Why? 1 Timothy 2.4. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay. All men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. You notice that's backwards from the way it normally, you know, we always say, you know, you learn, you learn about the gospel and then you're, quote, saved, unquote. Right. This is backwards. And the reason it's backwards is because it's not talking to Christians. It's not talking about Christians. It's talking about the everybody else. And he's saying they'll be saved. They will be given the opportunity for resurrection. Jesus told us that in John 5, 28 and 29. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that word for knowledge, what does that mean? Full disclosure. They will understand everything clearly. So it won't be, I didn't get it. That will not exist. 
Exactly. So God in dealing with humanity and bringing them to perfection is going to say, okay, lack of knowledge will no longer be an excuse. My mercy, this is God speaking, my mercy will not allow a lack of knowledge to get in your way. Next point is complete accountability. What does this solve? And Rick, this solves the immaturity failure. Okay, so we've solved the knowledge failure. Complete accountability solves the immaturity failure. Matthew 12, verses 34 to 36 is a good example of this. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Carelessness is often a result of immaturity. So Jesus is saying that, look, out of the, the, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he's saying that all of our words— and he's specifically focusing on the Pharisees, okay, at, at this point. And let's face it, the Pharisees were not on the road to heaven at, at this point when he's talking to them. No, they weren't. They were on the road to resurrection in the next age. They were on the road to being bought by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so he's telling them, you brood of vipers. <laughs> that gets their attention. And he's saying to them, you are going to have to be accountable for the things that you're saying because they're showing your heart in the day of judgment. God is going to bring these things back. You're going to have to make good for those. So God will put all of the world in a situation where they will be able to grow up. Go ahead. And Jesus did die for his enemies. Yes. The ones that put him on that cross. Exactly. Absolutely positively. So we've got full disclosure, complete accountability, solve the lack of knowledge, solve immaturity. Lots of room to learn. That's also coming in the day of judgment. And this is going to solve the weakness failure. This is going to be Isaiah 35, 8. And this is from the Leaser translation. And there shall be a highway and a way and the holy way shall it be called. No unclean one shall pass over it, but it shall be only theirs. The wayfaring man and those unacquainted therewith shall not go astray. So it gives you a sense that there are several that are going to be, multitudes are going to be on this highway. And again, this is different than the Christian walk, because the Christian walk, what's that, what, is it, what is it called? It, Rick, it's called the narrow way. Right. Straight, difficult, and narrow. This is the highway of, I mean, this is the you know, 10-lane highway. This is where you've got <laughs> multitudes walking that straight line. And what it's saying is, even if they're not sure of themselves, they're not going to go astray. There's going to be plenty of room to learn. So God will take away the, 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 the weakness failures because he'll give them plenty of time and opportunity to learn. So the lack of knowledge failure goes away. The immaturity failure goes away. The weakness failure goes away. That just leaves failure due to choice. And that is just. Once you've had all of those other things taken out of the way, Failure due to choice now is the thing that you are totally, completely, and utterly responsible for. For full personal responsibility for each person's decisions and actions, this leaves only free, educated, experienced, and mature choice for man's ultimate individual 
judgment. And a great scripture on that, Jonathan, is Jeremiah 31, 29 to 30. In those days, they will not say again, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. And Rick, I, I had a thought here that in the kingdom, Satan's influence will not be allowed to hinder humanity to become reconciled back to God. Uh, in fact, if you read in Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3, it talks about how Satan will be bound for the thousand years. He and his fallen angels will have no part of this rehabilitation of humanity. And what a, a weight off of humanity's shoulders to have pure truth and, and education. Okay, full disclosure, complete accountability, lots of room to learn, full personal responsibility, and no adversary. That gives you the ability to make good, clear, undeniable choices that are really, really thought out. Failures, lessons learned is, are what in, in, in this relationship? The world's miserable failures due to their personal choices will be weighed carefully and justly, and each man will be given ample opportunity for correction and growth. God's plan assures all men complete understanding so they can make complete choices. You can't make a complete choice unless you have complete understanding, and God's plan puts that in place. One last scripture, Jonathan, Psalm 22, 27, and 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. So this gives us a sense of the great power of God's justice and mercy. But you know, mercy does not work without justice. You have to have both of those things in that kingdom. Failure will be only as a result of absolute educated personal choice, nothing else. Folks, look, failure is part of our lives, but hopefully you now have a sense of how to deal with failure in a much more practical way every day of your life. Make it work. Make failure a stepping stone for you. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week. But till then, how do you manage failure? Carefully and with goodness, according to God's grace. Think about it. And folks, just remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics for us. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. We'll be back again next week. But until then, learn from your failures. <laughs>